Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 7 through the end of the chapter. Listen now as God speaks to us from his word this evening. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to part on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight, and there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he convened with them, <clears throat> he conversed with them a long time while until daybreak. And he so departed, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And so he met us at Asos. We took him on board and went to Mytilene, and sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios, and the next day we touched Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hasting to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray together. Lord God in heaven, we come to you and we ask that you will help us as we look at your word this evening. We ask, Father in heaven, that you will make plain the things that we sometimes have difficulty understanding. And those things that you make plain to us, our Father in heaven, we pray that we might internalize them, that they may become guides and directions for us as we seek to come to be better servants of yours. And especially we pray that you will help us to be better servants of yours, O Lord Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you've ever departed from a job or from a group or even from a church, uh, at that de- time of departure, you may have been asked to, to say a few parting words to those uh, people. And if you're like most, uh, this doesn't come off as a very easy task. As a matter of fact, uh, lots of people who are departing and having to say a few words uh, puzzle over it a great deal and find it to be a, a difficult task because you, you want to acknowledge those that you are leaving behind and at the same time you want to, uh, to recall some of the things that happened while you were a part of the group and so you have to sort of struggle with one, which ones you will say something about and which incidents you will recall for the people that are there. And uh, our text today contains a summary of the words that the Apostle Paul uh, spoke to the elders of the church of Ephesus, uh, when, uh, uh, when which he recognized would be his last speech to them. In verse 25, uh, he actually tells them, none of you will see my face again. And Paul, ever the apostle and the teacher, not only offers personal reflections on what he did while he was in Ephesus, but he also seeks to encourage a certain kind of behavior in the Ephesian elders. In addition, Paul reminds the people of, uh, the, uh, the, reminds the people of these things in order to instill in them a Christian zeal that characterizes both Paul's attitudes and his actions. And so what Paul shares with the elders was for them as well as for all the members of the church at Ephesus. Uh, the elders were fond of Paul and were saddened by his statement that he would not see the, his face again. And uh, we are told that when he left to go to the ship that they all wept because they thought of enjoying his company and his ministry. Now, Paul, when we last talked about him, was uh, in Ephesus, and uh, when we last met him, there was a riot in Ephesus, and that uh, uh, Paul had left Ephesus shortly after that. The riot was started uh, by those who were followers of Artemis, and it was under the leadership, you'll remember, of a man named Demetrius. And in uh, Paul then leaves Ephesus, and we're told at the beginning of chapter 20, he bounces around to all these places. And uh, my judgment is that he's doing the thing that Paul mostly did. He uh, brought the gospel to these churches, and now he's going back, and he's trying to in- encourage them. That's typical Pauline uh, practice. And uh, we're not told about those. We are told about those who accompanied him, and even those who didn't accompany him. Luke is quite uh, good at giving us all these details here. Uh, But uh, we do find Paul at one place here, uh, in verse 7, and he's at Troas. 
Now, Troas, we don't, we don't know very much about it. Uh, it doesn't, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us much about the church at Troas. So we do know that, uh, 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 that this was a church that uh, Paul found an open door to preach the gospel. Um, we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, we also know that this is where Paul had his uh, Macedonian call. And he responded to that Macedonian call by uh, going to preach at Philippi. We find this in Acts 16. And uh, Troas must have been a place that he felt comfortable in because this is also where Paul left his coat, but in particular, his valuable parchments. And he uh, tells uh, Timothy that he left them with Carpus in Troas and that he wants Timothy to bring them to him, not only his coat, but especially uh, his books. I understand that. That makes sense to me. Um, now, now, Paul comes to Troas and he spends a week there. And as he visited Troas on his way to Jerusalem, uh, he, he, we don't know what he did for that whole week. All that we know is at the end of the week, right before he gets ready to leave, Paul gets everybody together and uh, they have a service there. And the text tells us in very uh, uh, subtle terms that Paul was really long-winded because we don't know when he started, but Paul preached at least till midnight. Now the place where Paul is preaching, Luke also points out to us. It's a, it's a, it's a third story place, and of course if he's preaching at night, there's no electric lights, so all that they have are lamps that are uh, probably burning some kind of oil. We don't know what that kind of oil is. But you could just imagine this room with these people in until midnight. And I judge that it's probably a little smoky and uh, a little difficult uh, to, to, to breathe in there. I doubt that there was a nice breeze coming. And we are told that there is what we're told is a young man named Eutychus who's listening to Paul as he preaches. Now, we don't know what it means for uh, uh, Eutychus to be a young man. Some people say he was a real youth. Others suggest that he was a slave, and the word uh, that's used here could also refer to a slave, and he could have been a grown man as well. So we don't know, but we do know that Eutychus, in my judgment, to get a good breath of air, he goes over and he sits on the windowsill. And while he's sitting on the windowsill, and the Apostle Paul goes on, and on, you know, and on, I guess we could say, as Paul preaches, and uh, uh, Eutychus gets the nods, and uh, I think every congregation has somebody who belongs to what I call the order of Eutychus, uh, and there are two kinds of people who belong to the order of Eutychus. There are those who just go dead to sleep, you know, they, they just wait for the sermon to start, and that's their clue. Uh, those I'm already I'm willing to tolerate in the church, but the members of the order of Eutychus that I really like are those who do this. And I don't take it that they're napping, I just say they're agreeing with the preacher. So, but anyway, we have Eutychus sitting in this uh, window and he falls asleep and he falls out of the window and the text tells us that uh, he's down there and they took him for, uh, for dead. And Paul goes down from the... Uh, third floor, goes outside, and he picks up Eutychus, tells them that there's life in him. He was dead. We have to make the judgment that Paul restores him to life again. And then what does Paul do? He goes back upstairs. I'm assuming he takes Eutychus with him, and he keeps on preaching till daybreak. 
Now, I go over this partly, I guess, as a means of justification for being long-winded. You know, Paul could have preached for 12 hours. <laughs> so relax, folks. I'm not even going to try to get a competition with the Apostle Paul. But anyway, he raises uh, Eutychus from the dead and uh, continues with the people and uh, teaching them, conversing with them, talking with them. And uh, Luke tells us that when Paul leaves, uh, they, they take Eutychus with him and they all leave and they're not a little comforted. And my judgment is the comfort is clearly a part because Eutychus was raised from the dead. But I judge also that it had to do with the way in which Paul was so zealous to inform them, to encourage them, to make sure that they understood things that he thought was important about the Christian gospel. Now, as we go through the book of Luke every once in a while, you'll raise the question of why in the world does Luke include this? I mean, is it comic relief? I don't really think so. We ask ourselves, why is, why is this story in the Bible? I mean, especially this story because I can talk about Eutychus and most everybody in this room probably knows who Eutychus is. And so it's a story that's gotten to be well known. And my take on why it's included here is at least Luke wants us to see the way in which the people in Troas responded to the gospel, responded to the preaching of the Apostle Paul. I mean, I don't think it's wild for us to suggest that Paul was together with these people for 12 hours and he was explaining to them the Christian gospel. So I think that's one thing that's there. Uh, I, I also fear that when I tell you that, you people say, I'm glad I didn't live in the first century. Uh, you see, but this is not something that just happens in the first century. There are people who are so zealous to hear and to learn the word of God that these kind of things happen. I had a colleague, uh, Enoch was born in uh, mainland China, uh, came out and lived for a while in Hong Kong and then came to the United States and eventually was a, was a colleague of mine. And uh, when you, Enoch could, he would, during our breaks, he would go back into China. And I remember him telling the story of one place in China and they were all in a small apartment. And I think he told me there were 15 to 18 people in this small apartment. And they would come into this small apartment in the morning and they would send one or two people out at lunchtime and at dinner time. And they would go from eight o'clock in the morning till 10 or 11 at night. And the only reason they stopped, Enoch told me, was because he would say to them, I can't go on. I need to get some sleep. So, so the picture that we see of Troas is not one that's just back there and could never happen now. It is happening in the now in certain places where people have that hunger and thirst uh, to come to understand what the scriptures have to say. It does seem to me also that Luke wants us to see the way in which the power of the gospel and the power of, of Christ and the power of his spirit is at work in the Apostle Paul. Because we have seen testimonies to the way in which Paul has been able to do miracles, the way in which he's been able to do wonderful things, and these wonderful, powerful things are also testimonies to the fact that the Spirit of God is at work in him, and it's, a, it's an affirmation, if you will, of, of the message that the Apostle Paul is giving. So I think those are a couple of reasons why the Apostle Paul, why the, uh, Luke includes this story about the Apostle Paul. And now, 
Paul left Troas and he journeys to Miletus and he goes to Miletus and when he gets there he sends a message and he wants the elders from the church in Ephesus to come and to meet him in this city and the best we know is the reason he says is that he doesn't want to spend too much time in Asia and there probably could be two reasons for him worrying about having to spend time in Asia. You remember Demetrius and all those crazies that were with him shouting great is Artemis of the Ephesians in in the public square uh, is still there and then he had all these friends that were there and so these things could have probably uh, slowed him down and so this is the reason why Paul wants to keep on going because he wants to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. Um, Now, uh, as Paul spoke to the elders, he intended to offer to them words of encouragement. And uh, one of the ways in which he does this is he describes some of his attitudes toward ministry. And we'll look at those attitudes. Uh, another way in which he encourages them is that he, he rehearses for them some of the things that he did, some of his actions. And then as he addresses the uh, elders at Ephesus, he also um, uh, tries to tell them that he would like to see certain attributes, certain things uh, come to bear and to be present in the elders themselves. And so as we, we look at this, we'll kind of try to weave those, those things together. Now, now, it's important for us to note the way in which Luke starts this off because Luke starts this, this uh, record off for us and he tells us that Paul tells these people Just as he's starting out, he says, one thing you know about me is that the way in which I lived among you. In other words, what the apostle is saying is, I'm here going to tell you some things about ministry, and what I'm going to tell you about ministry, I'm telling in the front of people who saw me doing ministry. And, you know, all of us, I think, have a tendency to say, you know, uh, do as I say, not as I do, you know. Uh, I think all of us have that. And Paul is actually doing almost the opposite. He's saying, do as I say, because you have seen me do it in front of you. And so that's the way in which the apostle uh, brings this out. And <clears throat> as Paul talks about this, as he talks about his ministry amongst them, he, he reminds them of the way in which uh, uh, he, he, he ministered to these people in humility, uh, even uh, when he was attacked by, by the Jews. Uh, he had all these things that happened to him. And we remember what happened to Paul. He came to Ephesus at first and uh, was welcomed in the synagogue. Then he left for a while and he came back and then there were some Jews that attacked him. And uh, they were stubborn uh, men, we're told. And they uh, attacked the Apostle Paul and they attacked the way, the Christian faith itself. And so uh, Paul felt that he had to leave and we looked before at the way in which he went to preach in the hall of Tyrannus. Uh, And in all of this, Paul demonstrates a humility, a trusting that God would use him in his ministry regardless of what those kind of things that were coming out. Paul Paul was able to say, it doesn't make any difference about me, uh, but it makes a difference what God is going to do. And so that's the trust that he has here. Uh, He also reminds him that he ministered to them with tears. And my take is that these tears aren't tears of of sadness necessarily because he had to leave the synagogue and go to someplace else to preach. Uh, And I don't think they're tears of fear either. It does seem to me, tied together with his notion of humility, that this is a way in which Paul related to the people at Ephesus. Uh, 
And he wants the elders to know that, that I ministered as a humble person, but I also ministered with tears, that, that my, my affections were so connected with you people at Ephesus. My, my, my heart was so tied to your hearts that, that there were tears in my eyes uh, as I ministered to you. And so I think that's, that's what Paul has in mind as he talks to the people here. And uh, uh, Paul let the elders know that he was on his way to Jerusalem, and I assume he told them uh, that the reason uh, was that uh, he was going there to take the offering that he's been collecting uh, for the Jews in uh, Jerusalem. And Paul undertook this trip, he tells them, with full knowledge of the, of the difficulties that he was going to have. And the reason why Paul can say to them that I know difficulties, afflictions, are going to be in front of me is because the Holy Spirit has testified to me that every place that I go, in all the cities that I go, that I'm going to face imprisonments and afflictions. And so, so here's the Apostle Paul uh, saying to them, come to Miletus so I don't have to spend too much time in Ephesus because I want to go to Jerusalem. And when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to jail. And then after I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be shipwrecked. Now we know that because we know the end of the story. But, but the Spirit of God comes to Paul and tells him these things. And, and this is something that, that the apostle shares with, with these uh, people, at Eph- these uh, elders from Ephesus. And he tells them that, that he wants to do this because uh, he wants to finish the ministry. He wants to continue the ministry that has been given to him. Uh, Paul also distinguishes himself uh, from those who engaged in ministry uh, for financial gain. He says, I didn't do this for gold. I didn't do this for silver. I didn't do this to get a new set of clothes. Uh, These weren't things that that motivated me. Uh, He's distinguishing himself, it seems to me, probably first of all, from those people that are known in Ephesus, namely um, uh, the people like Demetrius, who made a living by making little uh, 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 idols uh, after the the temple of uh, Artemis. But I think also he probably has in mind uh, the kind of people that he encountered when he wrote uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, You may recall in 2 Corinthians, Paul is... uh, has been put upon because he won't take any money. And the super apostles are there and saying, the reason he won't take any money is because he's just no good. Uh, he's, you know, he's not worth it like us. We'll take your money because we're much better than he is. Uh, Paul says that's not the way in which he went about engaging in ministry. Um, and Paul's attitude toward his ministry provides a a guide, it seems to me, for all leaders in the church. It also shows the rest of us uh, what is important to those who follow those leaders. Uh, for example, uh, those who profess Jesus of Savior should be ready to do as, as Paul does, and that is to conform their profession of faith to the way in which they live. Uh, Paul says to them, as he tells them about the things that are going to happen to them, he says, I really don't take my life into any account. It's not not important to me whether I live or not. We'll see when we get to the next chapter that uh, when Agabus comes and predicts that Paul is going to be uh, put in in prison, that he's going to be bound, and when when Agabus tells this to the people and tells it to Paul, uh, they start saying, oh, Paul, don't don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul says... Come on, I'm not only ready to suffer for the Lord Jesus, I'm ready to die for him. That's Paul's mindset. And Paul is telling this about this attitude to the elders because 
My judgment is Paul expects that same kind of attitude to be present amongst the elders. But it's not only supposed to be present amongst the elders, it's also supposed to be present amongst those that the elders lead. That's that's what the Apostle Paul wants to have here. And I'm just struck by that, both as an elder and by a member of the congregation. Uh, You know, I find being inconvenienced easy to compromise my approach to the Christian faith. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I count my life. It's no account whatsoever. So we see that, 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 that vast difference and yet that challenge that the Apostle's behavior, the Apostle's attitude puts in front of us. So instead of being willing to sacrifice our lives, we all often find ourselves compromising for our comfort as we see this. So Paul not only shows us some of his attitudes toward ministry, he also sets out some of his actions, some of the things that he did during his time in Ephesus. And here, Paul puts the emphasis on his preaching and teaching ministry. One thing Paul did in his teaching was to emphasize that what he taught was profitable to the Ephesians. We see this in in verse 20. And the profitability of Paul's teaching was to the end that the people could be more devoted to the Lord, that they could be better followers of the Lord. And Paul says he did this both in public, in the Hall of Tyrannus, I think he's probably referring to there, but he also said that he did it from house to house. He went into their their private homes. And so he did this both ways. And when Paul first arrived in Ephesus, we know, he preached in the synagogue, I told you that, and he also went to to, the Hall of Tyrannus. And uh, he, uh, but he also went into their individual homes. And we don't know exactly what the Apostle Paul did there, if he had some kind of formal teaching, I know if uh, Paul came in and had the Wednesday evening Bible study in someone's house, uh, you know, I don't know if that's what he was doing. We just have no record of it. Or it was a more informal kind of teaching that Paul went uh, to these people's homes. And while he was there, he tried to lead them to deeper devotion to the Lord Jesus. And Paul says not only did he go from home to home, uh, not only did he preach in public, but he also says, I was trying to be comprehensive in the people to whom I addressed my teaching. He said, I taught, I, I tried to reach out to both Jews and to Gentiles. Now remember what happened with him with the Jews. Uh, the Jews kicked him out of their synagogue. They were opposed to, to uh, his teaching of the gospel in the synagogue. And remember what happened to him with the Gentiles. Uh, Artemis uh, gathered all, I mean, um, Demetrius gathered all the followers of Artemis up and they had a big riot and the riot was because they saw the implications of what it was that the Apostle Paul was teaching. And so we, we see this, that he, he doesn't back down from all of these. So the, and, 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 and Luke tells us that the substance of Paul's public and private teaching to both Jews and Gentiles was repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, Paul, uh, Luke is telling us that Paul centered on those very fundamental aspects of the Christian faith. That was what was important to him. And uh, we're fortunate that we have in our uh, shorter catechism a, a clear statement of repentance and a clear statement of what is faith. Let me just read to you uh, what f- repentance is. Repentance is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. And when Paul is talking to Jews and Gentiles, uh, 
he, he tries to help them to see their sins as something that is, that, that their, their sins are terrible, and they're terrible in the sight of God. But also for them to recognize that God is a merciful God. And as they recognize that God is a merciful God, that they, they, ought, to, they ought to be the kind of people that, that feel sorry for their sin. The Catechism says even to hate that sin and then turn to God. Now, some of you are sitting there and saying, I've been hearing that Sunday morning after Sunday morning, and you're right. And that's not an apology for telling you that. One of the things that we need to keep in our minds is that repentance is an ordinary part of the Christian faith. And it's not just feeling bad about our sins. It's certainly that. If you sin against a mighty, holy God, you ought to feel terrible about it. You ought to feel terrible about it for a number of reasons. One of them is this God who has made you and saved you, you failed him. He was good, good, good to you, and you failed him. So you ought to feel bad about that. But the very sins as the Catechism points out, and I think in a helpful way, you ought to come and hate those sins. You ought to hate those sins because of what they do to you, because of what they are. These are sins against the holy God. These are sins that don't belong to creatures that God made in his image. You see, they're dirty, foul blemishes. They don't belong to you, and you ought to hate them. You ought to despise them. And when you are sorry for them, and when you hate them, and you feel absolutely awful about them, remember there's a merciful God. Go back over the last few months of sermons on the Sunday morning. God takes away your punishment. God cleanses you from your sins. God breaks down the wall of partition that separates you from God himself. Repent. But, but it's, it's not only repentance that the Apostle Paul preached, but it's also faith that the Apostle Paul preached. And our catechism again helps us. It says saving faith um, is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him. That is Jesus alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. When you really feel horrible about your sin and you have actually come to the place where you hate that sin, remember Jesus. Remember what he did. Jesus came and he died upon the cross. And in dying upon the cross, he bore the punishment, he bore the guilt of our sins. And so we're supposed to embrace that Jesus. That's what, that's what saving faith is, where we rest upon him. Saving faith is not something that we did yesterday. Saving faith is something that we do today. That when you see the ugly horridness of your sin and you hate that sin, you look at Jesus upon the cross and you say, when Jesus died upon the cross, he was bearing the punishment, he was cleansing me from my sins. And that, Luke tells us, was the central part of the teaching and preaching of the Apostle Paul. Just as Paul called upon his public and, and private audiences to turn from their sin to God, he also called them to put their trust in this Lord Jesus, the one who came to save his people from their sins.
The gospel that comes to you is a, is a message that demands that we recognize that, that, that all these things that God, Jesus did for us, we're supposed to trust him for. But as we know from the rest of scriptures, this trust that we have, this faith that we have, is even a gift that God gives to us. And that's why Paul can talk about his ministry as being a ministry that is uh, about the grace of God. That's what he's trying to get across to us. He tells us in verse 24 that his ministry is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Um, uh, Paul's words in 26 and 27 summarize his preaching. He says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you and I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That phrase, the whole counsel of God, uh, resonates uh, very well in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Uh, my suspicion is because it's the motto of, part of the motto of Westminster Seminary, and so many people were trained and had connections with Westminster Seminary. But Paul is telling us that he declared the whole counsel of God. And because he declared the whole counsel of God, he says he's innocent of anybody's blood. My judgment is that Paul is referring back and thinking about Ezekiel chapter 33. Let me just read verses 7 through 9 of Ezekiel 33. So you, son of man, uh, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. And it seems to me this is what's behind the Apostle Paul's statement that therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. I assume that there were, in the midst of the uh, Christians in, in Ephesus, uh, some uh, well versed Jewish people who understood the scriptures. And so as Paul says, this was the way in which I taught that I did not hold back anything of the whole counsel of God. There were those who would say, yes, that's the case, that he, they could testify that. And, uh, um, and, and I think there's important things for us to pay attention to this too. If the obligation of the elders is to follow the pattern of the apostle Paul of declaring to us the whole counsel of God, uh, then uh, we will need to know what the whole counsel of God is. And uh, even as old as I am, I keep finding myself, every time I read the Bible, finding things that I didn't know were in the Bible before. And so even though I am called to declare the whole counsel of God, I keep finding things that are there. So this is, a, this is not something that we get to and it's over, but it's something that we keep on working at. It's something that continues to be a part of us. And if church leaders are to uh, follow the Pauline model and declare to us what is profitable, uh, then we have to acknowledge and implement its profitability, its usefulness. That's what the apostle tells us he does. And I just wonder how many times in our behavior we expect the word of God to be profitable and to be useful in our lives. I just ask you a question. When was the last time you did something and someplace in the back of your head you said, I did that because I wanted to be obedient to the word of God? It wasn't habit. It wasn't just circumstances that led me to that. But I wanted to obey 
the whole counsel of God. I wanted to engage in something that was taught to me and I found profitable at this point. It does seem to me that fits in with Paul's idea of ministry. Paul also suggests to them certain attributes of ministry that he would like to see in the Ephesian elders and then also for the people to follow those. I think he first of all wanted them to imitate his attitudes and action but he's in encouraging them to pick up on certain attributes, certain things that would characterize not only his ministry, but certain things that would characterize their role as elders. And the elders are, first of all, to, uh, uh, he tells them, to pay careful attention to yourselves. And when, he, when we read this, we, we may fall trapped to the kind of current, what I call, uh, inane uh, mindfulness, the self-centered mindfulness with which we're bombarded today. If you're old like I am uh, and you get an uh, old people's insurance, uh, you get uh, uh, emails telling you how you can be mindful and I've looked at them and uh, uh, I would be being complimentary if I called them baloney. Um, they're, just, they're just nonsensical, you know, I mean, navel-gazing in the worst sort of way. That's not what Paul has in mind. Rather, it's a plea to make sure that the elders remain faithful to the whole counsel of God. I take it to include their practices of piety and their behavior in the city and particularly their behavior in the church. And the reason why I take this is Paul also, in other places, tells us something about what should characterize the elders. We can find this in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Titus 1. And it really tells us about how we're to behave in the church, how we're to behave in the community. But that's what he wants them to do, to pay attention to following these kind of things that are characteristics of elders. But he not only tells them to pay attention to themselves, but he also tells them to pay attention to the flock, to take care of the church of God. And so paying attention involves making sure that the people of God under their care are making progress in godliness uh, in a manner similar to what God expects of leaders. In other words, Paul wants the elders to encourage the people to use the means of grace and to live an immoral life and cultivate godliness in their households, the kind of thing that's expected of elders. And when Paul tells the elders to care for the church, he uses that word for for shepherding and uh, uh, I could summarize very quickly what a shepherd does a shepherd leads a shepherd feeds and a shepherd protects and uh, the protection function is set out by the Apostle Paul in verse 29 he says I warn you I warn you that that there are going to be people come from your number there are going to be elders who go astray and when they go astray they're going to try to take some of the disciples with them that's a warning that Paul gives and so as he tells them to pay attention to themselves and he tells them also to pay attention to care for the flock he warns them of what they are to be paying attention to and in some ways Perhaps as much as any denomination in the United States, being careful about people who try to lead others astray uh, theologically, doctrinally, uh, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church ought to, ought to be up there with just more than perhaps uh, any other kinds of churches about this. And yet, when we stop and we think about our, first of all, our ignorance of what sound doctrine is, Secondly, about our indifference to doctrine. 
I've often used this illustration and I intend to use it again, but people will listen to a sermon and they will say, oh, that was an okay sermon, but its real problem was it was just too doctrinal. It just didn't have anything to help me with. Be careful of that, brothers and sisters, be careful. Doctrine is imminently practical. You see, if you don't know anything about the non-corporeality of God, what you're doing now makes no sense whatsoever. God does not have a body like man, as the children's catechism tells us. That's non-corporeality. And you're here worshiping God. And God can't receive your worship if you can see him, <laughs> because then he's not a real God. So sometimes we have to recognize that doctrine is, is so very important to us. And so when Paul says to the elders, and by saying to the elders, he also says to the rest of the congregation, to beware of those who will lead people astray, uh, Paul is uh, uh, telling us to pay attention to doctrine, and so doctrine doesn't have to be abstract. Another uh, attribute that Paul uh, desires to be present among the elders is to follow the Pauline model of caring for the weak. I think this language of caring for the weak, first of all, applies to those who are, are probably poor, but my judgment is that as Paul says, care for the poor, he has much wider kinds of ideas as well, and so he not only wants to care for the poor, but he wants to care for, for all the people as well. And then Paul does something that uh, uh, creates, uh, causes lots of uh, theologians and Bible scholars to freak out because he says uh, uh, that uh, it's better to follow the words of Jesus, and then he gives this quote, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And if you get your concordance out and look to find where that is in the Gospels, you will be disappointed. <laughs> because it doesn't appear in any of the Gospels. Uh, I see a couple of faces surprised at that. You know, it's one of those Bible things that we all knew. <laughs> Just wasn't the case. But, but don't let that bother you. Don't let people get all, uh, get all fussed up when people attack this idea. Remember the way John ends his, ends his Gospel. He says, I suppose that if we tried to record all the things that Jesus did, all the books in the world couldn't contain it. So there are plenty of things that Jesus did and there are plenty of things that Jesus said that aren't written in the Gospels because they don't fit the purpose of the Gospels. But that doesn't mean that Paul didn't hear what Jesus said and he quoted them accurately. And clearly the sentiments are very much a part of what Jesus would want us to do. And so the Apostle Paul tells them that they are to uh, uh, give and be ready to give these kind of things. And if the elders take heed to themselves in terms of the practices of piety, then they will have to be assured that the flock that they oversee also is involved in the practices of piety, of taking advantage of the means of grace. And my, my experience in working with Christians through the years is that people who come to church on Sunday night all know how important it is to read the Bible and pray. And people who come to church on Sunday night, when they're honest with themselves, also know how difficult it is to find time to read the word and pray. And that's a part of why the Apostle Paul is telling the elders to pay heed to themselves. This is not going to be an easy thing for you to do. It's going to require some discipline. But pay heed to yourself 
engage in the word studies, study in the word, and pray. And not only do you do that, but also encourage your people to do that. And again, I've used this illustration, I think, in this pulpit before, but I'm often, I don't know if I call the word, if I want to describe it as disappointed or upset. But you go to activities in the church. And in activities in the church, we find it very easy to talk about innumerable things. But we don't talk about what we learn from the scriptures, and we don't talk about what we've gotten out of prayer. The next time you're there on the second Sunday, I challenge you, you know, do something radical at Trinity Church. Instead of talking about the weather, say, you know what I discovered in reading the Bible this week? And I found things that I couldn't understand, and I want you to pray for me through this week that I will understand them. Now, whoever's sitting across from you at the table will do one of two things. One will be, and the other will be, you know, the slow scoot down in their chair so that you're looking at the person next to them. But you see, it's that kind of interaction in the body of Christ that the elders seems to me ought to be cultivating both with themselves and with those that are present with them uh, that they are caring for and they're looking at. Uh, Paul's words of encouragement to the elders contain instructions for them. In addition, his words remind us of what, uh, that what the elders need to cultivate is for the purpose of caring for the flock. And each of us needs to pay attention to what the Apostle Paul says. The work of elders is for our benefit. The things they are to exhibit and to teach, uh, those things should also direct us to more godly lives. And then all Paul says, we are reminded that uh, he ministered in Ephesus for three years to the end that the church may be characterized, as he says in Ephesians, by, by wearing the full armor of God. And elders wear the armor so that the members of Trinity Church will seek to follow the pattern and be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, as he tells us in Ephesians 6.11. Now, when we leave a group, we often feel very sad. I mean, there are connections that we have and we feel badly about not having those connections any longer. And the Ephesian elders really felt badly that, that they were not going to see Paul again. And I imagine that Paul also felt badly. Yet I feel sure that the Apostle Paul, as he left them, had to remember the things that the Apostle Paul in his epistles thought was important. One was the Apostle Paul believed in the resurrection. And he believed that the people of God were going to be raised up. And the Apostle Paul believed in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Jesus comes again, all of God's people are going to be raised up. And what are we going to do? We're going to see Jesus. And we're going to see one another. And that's blessed. That's a wonderful, wonderful gift that God gives to us. Look around. If you belong to Jesus, you may be sad to leave now, but one day, one day, we'll see Jesus. And we'll see Jesus together with all the people of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul We thank you for the way in which he behaved 
We thank you for the way in which he made evident certain attitudes with regard to his ministry. And we thank you, O Lord God in heaven, that he called for us also to exhibit certain attributes in our lives. And we pray, O Lord, for our leaders. We pray for our pastors. We pray for our elders. And we ask, O God, that you will grow them in godliness. We ask, O God, that they will pay heed to themselves and they will care for us. And we pray, Father in heaven, that as they do that, we will all be like the Apostle Paul. And we will be committed, not worrying about our own selves, not even worrying about our lives, but we will be committed to express to others and even to ourselves the word of repentance and the word of faith, the gospel of your grace, O God. Help us in these endeavors, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.